Welcome back to Pierre Pressure Podcast. I am the eponymous host of said podcast, Pierre. I hope you've been enjoying it. It's been really fun making it, and I have some really good guests lined up for future episodes, so please keep listening. Before I talk about Jack Grace, the guest for this episode, I'd just like to talk about what's going on in the USA, also known as the DSA, the Divided States of America. Here's the latest caper that the Republicans have pulled off. They confirmed this piece of work, Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. So now Brett Kavanaugh is Mr. Judge, sitting on the highest judge, 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 judgeship judge, 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 in America. He gets to judge everybody. This is the same guy who told everyone that he didn't really drink in high school and he wasn't really a sloppy drunk and he doesn't remember what happened that one day that we all know about. So whatever happened, he's a complete bullshitter. He doesn't want to admit the kind of person he was in high school. He was a drunk frat boy douchebag, which definitely doesn't disqualify you for many, many jobs in this society we live in. But I think lying about it does disqualify you. He did that. Everybody knows he did. Now he's Mr. Mr. Judge Judge, Judge, Man. So what I say about that is I don't believe in divine retribution or uh, fate. I don't believe that, you know, good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. I believe in the random power of nature. I believe in entropy. It all happens according to the forces of nature. But I do believe in human retribution. And the entire country knows what this guy is up to. We're all watching him. We all know. We all know he's completely full of shit. We all know the Republicans who put him up there are completely full of shit. We know we have an illegitimate president. So it's going to come around. It's going to come around. It's going to bite him on the ass at some point in some way. Because you cannot put this much bad will out there to basically an entire half of the population. He's basically said to most women... We don't need to believe you. If something bad happened to you, tough shit. Well, you can't put that kind of energy out there and not expect it to bite you on the ass. So it is going to. And it's going to do the same to Mitch McConnell, the worst human being on planet Earth, all the other clowns that are up there. The best thing we can do right away to dole out some human retribution is just trounce the Republicans in the upcoming midterms. So everyone go out there and vote. I don't care where you live. If you think, oh, it's already Democratic. I don't need to worry about it. That's not a good excuse. Go out and vote anyway. It has to be a landslide. We need to punish these people. So again, this is my nonpartisan podcast where I talk freely about politics. So please feel free to comment, write in, email me, whatever you want. Let's talk about it. I will defend all of the things I just said, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about them. My guest on today's podcast is Jack Grace. Jack is a singer, guitar player, actor, all around total ham, hilarious and talented performer. He has a solo act, the Jack Grace Band. He also played for many, many years in a band called Steak, also Van Hayride, which is a country version of Van Halen, which we'll talk about. He was a frequent guest on PRI's The Takeaway as a cultural contributor. I've really enjoyed knowing Jack through the years, and it was really fun to talk to him about all the things we talk about on the PR Pressure Podcast. And one last comment. I love the feedback that I get about this podcast from everyone. So please continue. Some people have said that they don't like it when I say They don't like the effects that I use on the words that have the words peer pressure. Sorry about that. I know it's so annoying, but I love it. All right. Enjoy. Hey, Jack. How's it going? All right. How are you, Pierre? Whenever people say hi, Jack, do they think of airplane? That does. That joke comes up from time it's to time. Hilarious, There's it? uh, my friend Lily that owned Lily's Bar back in, in Brooklyn. She she does that one every time. It's just a way she every greets me. Every time. Yes. Okay. Great. I'm glad we got that out of the way. Yeah. So, hey, thanks for coming on to Pierre Pressure Podcast. Yeah. We've known each other for a really long time, and so yeah. it's really fun for me to get people like you who... I've always considered really talented and interesting and great musicians to come in. I thought we knew each other. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, you know, you come in and I try to get you to do stuff that's uncomfortable and and maybe different. But you seem pretty... 
cool well, with it. I'm I'm a, I'm a radio man, so I'm I'm used to you know filling up the the mic with with stuff, whether you mean it or not. Just keep talking. Cool. No dead air. No dead air. All right. Well, I want to go sort of like all the way back, like from to little young Jack, yeah. young young John. Sure. I'm allowed to out you as John. yes, uh, John Pank, born John Pancaldo in, um, in Brooklyn, New York, March 1968. Wow, going. Just going straight for it. Cool. Yeah. So um, musically, like, what was the trajectory for you? Did you start No one played music in my family at all. Nobody. So it seemed that it wasn't possible for humans in my world to make music. That was other people that did that. So, but I was... What it happened was something was, that, like, exalted people did on the radio. Yeah, you know, kind of like, you know, being astronauts or anything else. Right. You know, it wasn't... It didn't, was, didn't occur to me that I could do it myself. Right. Um, but I became a Beatle fanatic at, at four years old. Really? Like three, four, like to the point where, where other kids would ask to go on a, uh, you know, a, a ride at a, a, a amusement park. I would ask to put on a Beatles album. My dad had to let it be. And I would, I remember him sort of saying, yeah, I, I can put it on and kind of looking at me strangely thinking, why, why is he so excited to listen to this? So I listened to that obsessively, that album. I still can remember from a visual standpoint what the scratches looked like on that album. Oh my God. And, uh, and then it was, you know, then with each Beatle album, I discovered it felt like a new planet opened up. And I, it got to the point where by the time I was around fifth grade, my friend Rich Winter, uh, his mother's didn't want him to hang out with me because she said that our relationship was too based on the Beatles. <laughs> and it why became, was that a problem? Just because that's all we did was listen to the Beatles and talk about the Beatles and draw pictures of the Beatles. And then um, it sort of kind of reached a uh, uh, its peak when uh, in seventh grade you're supposed to go in and do a forty-five minute uh, up to you know maybe fifteen to forty-five minute oral report on something so i went and i showed up to do this report in seventh grade and um i brought posters to put behind me and brought all <laughs> these visual aids and brought albums to play wow well my report i didn't mean for it to be this but it lasted i exact i'm not exaggerating it lasted for five days <laughs> five days five days it got to the point where other teachers said you got to see what this john pancaldo guy's got going <laughs> and by day three there were a bunch of other teachers in the classroom coming and checking it out and it became so kind of renowned around the school that they had me come back and do an encore performance the next year. You basically did like a PBS five-part special. About I the did, and I didn't even mean to. I just, oh, we're out of time? Oh, it's another day? I didn't even try. <laughs> I just kept having more things to say, and that's how long it took for me to say it. Wow. You don't he know was, what it was like in the 60s. I'm a kid. I, I would do this with my... With, with, nine with, months. With uh, my your band member and my... Uh, still legal wife Daria Grace. Um, there we go. Uh, we uh, we basically. Uh, I joked. I'd always Barely drive her legal. crazier. Yeah, <laughs> I'd still drive her crazy, saying, "Well, see, you were born in the '70s. You missed missed the '60s. Right? That we really understood a special thing to grow up in the '60s. Oh man, that hurts. Yeah, that hurts. So uh, my point was, you know, when in that time frame between say '68 and '78, in our age group. Our kid, we didn't grow up like all kids our age in that age group being into the Beatles because it kind of already had happened. Sure. And that sort of resurgence of the Beatles didn't really start happening again until sometime in the 80s or right. something. So I always felt like the Beatles were mine. Okay. Like I felt claim to them because growing up in fourth, fifth, sixth grade, I was the weird kid who was obsessed with the Beatles and people found it odd or curious mm -hmm. yeah. weird thing that you're into and I was like yeah when I try to tell people what I know about them he's like yeah everybody knows all about them he's like no you, you don't know oh, never mind yeah <laughs> so the skills now become like watered down like many things on the interweb yes but so but getting back to like music so did did you figure out how to play Beatles songs when did you start playing uh, we guitar? obsessively like I would play I had this weird pinball machine plastic one i'd put it on the bed and play the beatles live at hollywood bowl that came out in 68 Wait, pretend we were in the concert and it Wait, just it's never a pinball machine that makes music yeah it looked it felt like a keyboard to me at the time oh, but and you, i would I... stand on the bed and pretend it was a stage and, and use it i tried everything 
and they they gave me a trumpet in school because that was going to be real helpful. I had no, I just go upstairs and stare at it. I never even learned a song on the trumpet. Trumpet is hard. That was my first yeah. instrument. You got to fart into the mouthpiece. Yeah, and it was obscure. Nobody, they're just like, go upstairs and play your trumpet. I'd stare at it. I just didn't understand how to get started. Not so, a real Beatles instrument unless you learn. No. You, you spend your whole time learning the solo to uh, Eleanor Rigby or whatever. What's the song with that crazy trumpet solo? Um, well, Penny Lane. Penny Lane. <laughs> That'd be so, tough for a ten-year-old yeah. or whatever. Yeah, and exactly. That's that's pretty high notes. Yeah. So then I sort of got. Eventually, then they gave me an acoustic guitar, which I still have. And the problem was, I had my next door never kept trying to teach me "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star" single notes on the yes. guitar, and I still could not make the connection. How old were you at that point? I was probably like sixth grade. And I thought I would start playing guitar, but it didn't take because I couldn't figure out. All he had to do was say, here's a G chord, and this is the first chord to yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I know I would have gone nuts. Look, I, I'm i going to self-blame that somehow I couldn't figure it out. But back then, it was like you couldn't go Listen, on YouTube. You know You know what I did? Yeah. I, at age 13, I got the Beatles complete. And yeah. I started with the G chord of like... Whatever, go. love me do. And yeah. that's, how, that's how I learned to play guitar. Yeah, so I, you did it a little earlier. And really? then what yeah. happened finally for me is that um, I got pretty lousy grades when it came to high school. So I had to go to a crappy college. So I went to this place, Dean Junior College in Franklin, Massachusetts. Which is that a real place? It is. <laughs> you know, now it's a four-year college. It's okay. called Dean College. Got it. But it so I kind of thought it was going to be a place that I would... Uh, have a lot of similar minded people that just maybe didn't apply themselves in high school. In all honesty, that really wasn't the case at okay. junior college. And I was accustomed to partying with people that were fun, eclectic kind of scholarly misfits. And so long story short, Dean junior college was boring as hell to party at. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me okay. because I took a guitar and went into the practice rooms and learned like, like yeah, you were always, uh, you've always been into acting and mm-hmm. theater and stuff. And yeah, my family still always says, when are you going to get back to acting? When are you going to do that? And okay. it is, was sort of my first talent. And, yeah. uh, so NYU and you're doing acting classes yeah, and stuff. Yeah, and then I just went and started, finished. So then I transferred up to, couldn't be in New York City anymore. So I went to Burlington College and became a music major. and Went on the five-year program of three of three colleges. And uh, as I was there, um, anyway, I, I got a pretty good musical education. And uh, so just to jump ahead, like about two summers ago, when uh, before Trump had become president, um, there was some news that Burlington College had closed. And it was national news, this little college. What? And oh, yeah. I'm mainly upset that my college had closed. Like, what do you mean? I, I don't have, I can't go back? Yeah. And it's because Jane Sanders, Bernie Sanders' wife, was the president of oh. Burlington College. She took over after I left. And they tried to move it from a small, really cool college with no grades to a big campus. Oh. Going against UVM and St. Michael's. The problem was in Burlington, Vermont, is that there were... They didn't need another big college. Right. So it sunk. So the news was more like, see, Bernie's no good because his wife brought your college down. Oh. And so anyway, so I finished the college back to, and and then went and started a band in Boulder, Colorado in 1992 called Steak. And we got successful kind of quickly. Within four months, we were playing often in front of 300 people and started touring. And I figured... Well, of course, we're really brilliant and amazing. Here comes our really stellar career. Yes, of course. And then we moved the band to San Francisco around 94, 95, and our management didn't really seem to help us out. It kind of hindered us more. And uh, then we moved back to New York in 98. And here we are 20 years later um, in uh, having some accomplishments, but enjoying uh, relative cult obscurity. (laughs) Like like the Beatles. Just like the Beatles <laughs> yeah. did. Yeah. So, you know, I'm following there's, their path. Jack, there's probably a kid out there who's learning all your songs and doesn't want anyone else to know that, you know, they he or she knows yeah. all the Jack Gray stuff. And you know, it happened to me once. Uh-huh. Duo covered one of my songs in Love front that. of me. So cool. And at the time, I was just like, well, <laughs> this is the way it's going to be. That's right. the only time I've seen that happen. It's insane when it happens. It and happened it, to me yeah, once, like yeah. on the internet or twice, where somebody does a cover and you see it and you're like, wow, yeah. I've made it. Yeah. <laughs> well, our, now I have, I guess technically I have a hit. Oh, okay. Be, being that it's uh, the song Big Bear with our band Steak, 
was in the Super Troopers movie that's oh, cool. become like this, you know, thing. And now the song made it into Super Troopers 2, which came out this year. So that's great. that has been covered on the internet once in a while. Pierre Pressure Podcast is brought to you by Tungsten Filament. For a high melting point, low vapor pressure, and great tensile strength, remember Tungsten Filament. It's it, The song is has this sort of stats. When I play it live, there'll be a lot of people younger in the millennial sort of scene. And I've been told I do a great cover version of the song Big Bear. And then I say, <laughs> actually, it's me. And then you see them check their phones and you see that sort of like little rustling of them of excitement. And they come, it really is you. Yes, it is. <laughs> so that's my management problem. And while I'm talking <laughs> about that problem, the other problem that I have right now Let's talk about your problems. Is there's another Jack Grace out there. You know what? Okay. I was actually looking you up earlier. Yeah. And I saw that. And I was like, who's this dude? Come okay. on. First, there was one in England. But he's sort of mellow. And he's not really... He, he kind of keeps more in England. And I don't know. He hasn't been... But now this other guy is in, from Australia. And he's sort of... Somehow, my youtube page is merged with his oh. and i said to him don't you want us to be separate he goes i didn't do it <laughs> of course i had to come when i was not in the mood to deal with anything yeah but i had a day where i rose up and said what am i supposed to take this lying down you know like i gotta i gotta fight for my name i have yeah so you've i've had it for a long time yeah. and you've done a lot of work with it yeah so i've so I, I'm, I'm in the middle of just you know doing the best I don't mean him any ill will, but I do think it was irresponsible of him to see that there was already an established Jack Grace musician and and plow through anyway. I mean, is right it now, his real name though? That's what I don't know. It doesn't kind of doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, you know, I mean, David Bowie, right? His real name is David Jones. Right. He saw that there was already a David Jones That's out true. there in the Monkees, and so he came up with David Bowie. That's true. That's called being creative and smart, people. Yeah. <laughs> Jack Grace out there. Are you listening? The other <laughs> Jack Grace. <laughs> You've been warned. Um, hey, I want to go back to yeah. like theater. Like, So you yeah. you were doing acting, and um, how I want to talk about how it informs your music, because you said you were into Neil Young, and you were like at NYU playing NYU uh, Neil Young songs. Yeah. Were you ever into like musical musicals? No. <laughs> no, the answer is no. Never been into musicals. Zero. In fact, I was always trying to find my way in the acting world. Uh, I I, I kind of got into David Mamet, which would make sense, I think. And, you know, I sort of said, oh, I'm going to kind of go a Mamet kind of way with and do theater and do that. And then I started to feel like I just... I don't want to be somebody's puppet. And so I was pretty much in that world of trying to figure out what, what was going to be my identity as an actor. So I wrote this play about kind of about my friends in the, in the apartment. And I remember one of the names of the people was Gavin. Okay. And that's all I remember about that lousy, crappy play I was trying to write. Gavin. Yeah, Gavin. <laughs> that's the name of the play in retrospect. You, now. you never Gavin, performed it? A boring play about about something that didn't happen. Um, so, um, so, so I got stuck. And then I just sort of kept writing songs all of a sudden. Right. And I said, hey, this I can go play these songs right now. I don't but need... So this brings me to a point, yeah. which is that your, your performance style is really performancey yeah like so it's like you're a total ham you are the country ham yes and so when you're on stage like you're bringing you're bringing it full on all the time like it's not just i'm up here singing a song hope you're listening some days some days but even when you probably feel like that you don't really do that because that's like just not how you yeah rock so it's pretty cool like you you really do this yeah there's a dramatic aspect without i mean that can sound really corny yeah but it were i I don't know. It works. It's cool. Well, then I had the the other band, uh, Van Hayride, which is sort of yes. a countrified Van Halen band. But I never saw it as a tribute band. It was more the way I explained that was that, well, let's pretend Van Halen is a play and we're putting it on. Interesting. And I always felt like I was channeling Captain Beefheart. Nice meets david lee roth when i did it wow. and i tried to be as obscure and outrageous as possible so at first van hayride started to get some uh notoriety and all the the van halen fans at first showed up with their tat they showed me their tattoos of van halen on this on their arms and all that nice. and i quickly scared all those people away and again it became another band that was like a weird cult obscure band because 
it turns out I, I'm weirder than I thought. I always <laughs> so th- those people yeah. the yeah. the Van Halen connection didn't endure enough for them to I, hang in there. I scared them away over you time. Did. Okay. I yeah. loved that band. It was so much it's, fun. It still was fun. I stopped doing it because really the, the younger age group, strangely, Van Halen has not made it like the way ACDC and other bands, Zeppelin. You know why? Because they because they got rid of David Lee Roth. That's my theory that's that. that makes a lot of sense Dumb there was move. a key time that would have kept them in the rotation because yeah. they're i think their their music is to me way more interesting than acdc and a lot of those oh, bands for sure way more complicated and, yeah. and nuanced and yep I, I love van halen yeah and and doing it as country is such a great it fits idea it totally fits there's certain songs like panama that we i really think there was there were two songs i thought we did ended up i will say i think we our versions are challenge van halen's and that's panama and the song beautiful girls those two i thought we really did well wow that's a bold assertion i know if you're out there (laughs) you uh, can find eddie and alex Jack just threw down, man. I did. <laughs> I, you know, I said I challenged them. <laughs> I didn't say better. Okay. I was careful. Cool. Where did country come into your whole persona? That's a good question. So with Steak um, being my first band that we started in 92, we really were a very experimental, weird band. In fact, we had a lot of weird time changes that... Um, would get people dancing and then they would go to the next change. And I remember we laughed in one of our early shows where the the time change made someone fall over. They tried to keep up. And that was sort of kind of like a good example of what steak was. We liked to be weird. I guess my long drawn out answer to like steak eventually started making music I didn't even like. And it weirded me out. Like, how did I get to a point where I'm a band that I, I'm writing and a main member of? We started doing kind of rapish sort of stuff because my partner Eric, he could rap well, so we were doing it. But I, it was just not music I personally would listen to. Yeah. So at one point, I wrote sort of a country song called "My She Used to Be My Little Rosetta," and it was a joke song I kind of made up. But I kept wanting to work on that song. And then I just found the other thing is I, I growing up liking the Beatles, Neil Young, Robert Plant. These are all high voiced people. Exactly. And I struggled to sing out of my range my whole time. And then I learned I was a baritone. Absolutely. And just around that time was when the the Johnny Cash Rick Rubin album came out. Oh yeah. And I had a cassette that had um, we were touring. Steak was touring all the time, and I had a cassette with. Uh, with the American recordings on one side and the Beastie Boys on the other. <laughs> and oh, I would wow. play that cassette. I would always take the late night shift so in the bus, the tour bus, so I could be like alone for a little while. Right. I would I would smoke a little pot and just ride the late night circuit and be alone and listen to that cassette. And then I just found myself writing country songs and I couldn't stop. I really felt like that album definitely gave me a certain direction from a vocal baritone standpoint. Sure. Yeah. And then from there, I just felt like this feels real. I started Jack Grace in 1998, just as I was leaving San Francisco. And it beca- at first I thought I was going to, before I, I was going to do a swing thing and I went this way with it and it's kind of stuck. But what did happen with the Jack Grace thing is that probably... I wore a cowboy hat. I had the look. I was drinking tons of whiskey. I was I was for real in the role of being this certain persona. But as being the chameleon actor person I am, I eventually started to shed that persona and move into a different mode. So just as people were really digging the Jack Grace country thing and it was easier to market and I was getting some success, it actually kind of got a little confusing because then I started writing more Latin stuff and more rock stuff. And now it's back to again, like, well, what is Jack Grace? Who, who is Jack Grace? <laughs> Cause I don't question. know, <laughs> but apparently the one in Australia knows who he is. Yeah, exactly. He can tell you, you've got the theatrical, um, situation you've got country and then in, and then you said um you said swing and then there's this whole mariachi thing going on too with your music a lot right. of song, amazing horns and always like super top-notch players like on your records that's the best thing one of the greatest things about new york city you know yeah and, and to have tapped in i think you know we both have tapped into those that level of players and uh it is exciting to have just 
that level of talent around yeah if you can give them something to chew on <laughs> absolutely so there's never been you know but yeah i love having a horn section and i have horn charts and now i have different versions of the jack race band in different parts of the country i was just living in england for nine months and i have a, an, a cambridge england version of the band and then i have a cambridge massachusetts version of the band so one of my prizes. Nice. I'm the only person that has a version of my band in both of the Cambridges. Hilarious. And I have to sometimes, it gets confusing. Well, the Cambridge band, I mean the Cambridge, Massachusetts Old England band. and New England. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and then I have kind of a version of the band that I haven't used in a long time in Austin, Texas. And I'd like to kind of get one going more again in California. I know what you should do. You should go on tour with both bands and alternate days like Jack White, where yeah. you have one band one night. That, that wouldn't be great. real There's hard. Nothing right? wrong with no. You have your English band one night, and then the next night it's your yeah. American well, well, band. I'm not happy at all about the way things going down. Hard to feel good about a bad wind blowing round. What else can you do? Just try to see it through. Can't change the weather, so better change your point of view. Streets turn a bit of cold everywhere in town. Leaning against the wind, or you get your ass blown to the ground. I'm not happy at all. Things going down Hard to feel good about a bad wind blowing round first song you did is called bad wind blowing bad wind blowing so i recorded that and uh nora jones sang a verse so then we called it a duet i don't know if she does but it is a duet <laughs> and uh cool. that was like kind of right when uh wife Dari and i kind of split up and it was so it was a weird time and i really feel like the album never i tried to i got a publicist i did a pledge campaign but i feel like somehow that album just never got its due and um you know, it's a really good album. Thanks. And uh, Eric Amble produced that album. It's The album's called Everything I Say is a Lie. And yeah, I don't know. I, How'd I, you get involved with Nora Jones? Um, we've been friendly for a long time and played a bunch of shows together. And I consider her a friend. And she said to me once, if you ever want me to sing on one of your records, you know, let me know. So I called her and she just showed up. That's cool. And the the part she sings on the Bad Wind, well, in the sec, she sings the second verse from the beginning. And... She had just had a baby, and she hadn't sang in six, seven months or more. Well, mm. more because she was yeah. yeah. And uh, and she went in and sang that line in one take, and it was adorable. She just looked at me and she goes, "Jack, I don't think I can do better than that." She, it's a beautiful. She nailed it. That's great. And everyone just said, "Yeah, you're good. Come on out." 
it's also a fun experience to get people that you respect and like to come and, and right. collaborate and that's with you. The, the best part of it for me is, uh, you know, the hell with the bragging rights is that she sang beautifully. Like mm-hmm. She's an amazing singer. Sounds You know, Nora is one of those people where when you hear her in a room, it's jaw-droppingly, unbelievably gorgeous. She and, has, it's like the way her vocal cords are shaped in uh, her body. Something, something comes crazy. out. That's, yeah. So, um, well, I'm trying to pre- Pierre pressure you when you're talking about politics. So, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, nice. What uh, what's that song about? Well, "Bad Wind Blowing" is is more like you know of of ominous what's to come. And this song was written now a few years back, and it, you know, I think in all honesty, the impetus was I used to uh, book this club in New York that was New York's longest running honky talk, the Rodeo Bar. Oh uh, yeah. And the initial muse was. I felt like it was on its way out. I had just had some dark conversation with the with the owner of the rodeo bar, and I didn't feel like he was do, making the right calls to keep the place alive. And that was the uh, impetus of the idea of a bad wind blowing. And um, and then it just seemed to carry over as a general. You know, I like to write certain songs to leave them open to interpretation. Uh, there's a song I wrote about. Um, when our steel player Drew Glacken passed away, um, I have this song called Still Can't Believe That You're Gone. And some people think it's a song about a breakup. Mm-hmm. And some people think it's about losing someone who died. And that, I really like to have those sort of songs where right. they mean more than one thing. Is so that ben, on the last record? Um, that one's on the album Drinking Songs for yes. Lovers. Uh-huh. Um, it's the end of that album. And then we even put a little note of Drew playing the last note we uh-huh. took from the album before that. Uh, but um, but so bad when blown is sort of a continuation of that idea of like it could mean any sort of just bad news coming, bad times coming. Well, in the ter- in yeah for rodeo bar, yeah. it, it, would it mean gentrification's coming? The rent's gonna go high, and it just meant that it was on its close. way out. Yeah, you know? which which did happen, right? And, yeah, and it, then it did close. You know, it was such a great place. Oh it was God. magical, and it, you know, but it also was. It was one of those things where its heyday had come and gone. Their and margaritas was, were a little too strong. Well, <laughs> the other thing is towards the end, by the way, those margaritas, here's, here's one of the weird secrets of the rodeo bar. People were like, I love those margaritas. They were grain alcohol. What does that mean? They like weren't moonshine or something. Grain alcohol is just pure. No alcohol, you know. wonder. A lot of victims of those. That yeah. We won't name. It doesn't names. matter now. It's good, but it was, it was grain alcohol and not tequila. And that's why people got so messed up on those things. Oh, dude, it was lethal. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Well, I watched many fun things happen to other people on that too. But that was a magical place. But so, you know, I always found this being, you know, I have written other songs. I've tried to write overtly political songs. Yeah. And, uh, and I've also tried to make overtly political statements because I definitely have views. And when I used to be a a commentator uh, on the show, the takeaway on, on a PRI and, there I got a chance once in a while to talk with John Hockenberry about politics. And right. he, he sort of let me go a bit. Was that your primary role on that? Or what was your... I was sort of the doing? cultural commentator. Okay. So I would talk about culture, but I got able... You know, we just naturally went there in yeah. certain parts. And so I, when I did his one of his final shows before he left the air, he talked about how oh, he, how he viewed me as so overtly political. Huh. Which I took as a big compliment because yeah. I didn't, I never, I, you know, I just, when I tried to write like a straight out song about like just straight out political protest song, they're harder to write than people think. Oh, you they're know? very hard. What was you the know? ones that you did? I'm curious why you wouldn't pick that for this situation. Well, no, I just, though they were failed songs. I didn't, it was they, like, you they know. They never came to life. Um, well, there's one that I released on an album called The Money's Gone Away and it's called Hard Times All Around. Okay. And it has a line in it, <laughs> remember. It says uh, the middle class has died off. They're paid, you know, bought and paid, something like that. And it was funny. My old songwriting partner from Steak, he he was listening to the record with me when I finished it, and he turns to me at that line. He goes, "You went there," <laughs> and that's the thing. You go there. Sure, I go there all the time. Yeah, of course you do, and I it think it's part of your persona, and yeah. you're really good at it. Um, it's just Thanks. that. Oh, it's true. It's natural. You know that what I've found is I had to accept on some level. That what people want from my persona is a certain level of sarcasm. Right. And that when I... So I have to kind of come at politics at least 
for it to sound natural within who I am at, from that angle. Yeah. When I go too straight down the middle, yeah. it's like people don't want to hear it. I mean, you take somebody like Tom Waits, who's yeah. like kind of obscure. If, if Tom Waits was like to just post some like straight out, like, you know, political statement, like it's not what people want from Tom it's Waits. Not. You know? Exactly. And I kind of learned I'm not Tom Waits. And I get that. But there's something about being sort of more of a having some sort you know I'm, I'm people expect sarcasm from me sure. not a direct comment and so I learned that it's funny because i'm trying to figure out like can this can this exist in this day and age can there be people we don't live in the earnest we don't live in the 60s anymore where you can sing political songs and everyone rallies behind them and you have massive success and like can this exist nowadays I, you know i'm not sure i um one time i i was on tour and i was in the midwest somewhere and i was overtly political and I used to love just like spouting politics from the stage and stuff and in my banter between songs somebody came up to me afterwards and said your music's great I, I, I think you should you know leave the politics out of there and I well, was well that's like, a classic cop out from other people yeah I, that's always you know that line where people are like you know just play your music like you know people are missing a point yeah and I'm sorry that people want it's so funny like how many people would for instance go spend $250 to go see Crosby Stills Nash and Young right and then be angry that that they you know when they're right wing people and they saw I the, saw Neil Young yeah. do that play that he did that was political do you remember that thing well it there was, was Greendale Gre Greendale so I was at Greendale yeah. and uh, people got up and left and, yeah. and Neil Young was like I see you guys leaving Sorry, this isn't for you. Uh, you know, you want the hits or whatever. When after you leave, we're gonna play the hits. He was basically like, "F." Well, that's I saw the show, and that's exactly <laughs> that? what happened. Yeah, and, and then I, he I, started playing the hits because so, he was like, "Those people didn't have the patience to sit through my statement that I'm making." So fuck them. I'm such a Neil Young fanatic that you were at that show. I was annoyed. Radio that he played, City. Yeah. Well, you saw it at Radio City. I saw it in California. Oh, okay. At uh, Cal Palace. Yeah. But I so my friend, I, we had nice like third row centered tickets for that show. For the Greendale show, because my friend Laura Greenberg worked for Bill Graham Presents and and had uh, and her uncle's Neil Young's manager, so we had nice tickets and um, we watched. And then I went back to the box office to hear directly from that. And Laura said people were coming back wanting their money back, <laughs> and I had to tell them we can't give you your money back because you didn't like what songs Neil is playing. Yeah. That's not how it works. Nope. And she had to explain that to people. <laughs> but then, so here's what happened. I remember the show so well that when this, I really liked Greendale. First of all, Greendale was cool to see live. It was, it was, it was really interesting. Yeah. What he was trying to do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then when he played the hits, I got annoyed. I was like, don't, I still want to hear deeper cuts. I'm a real Neil Young fan. I don't want to hear all the hits. Right. And I remember the only song that he played that wasn't like a big, he played like a hurricane, heart of gold. He yes. played all the hits. But didn't he have, was it crazy horse? He did. I think he had crazy. Okay, Horse. I'm just going to say something. I'm going to yeah. put this out. I cannot stand that band, Crazy Horse. It drives <laughs> me nuts. It's like you and your buddies. It's cool. I get it. Your friends. You're all still playing together. I don't want to hear you whacking off on the Sometimes guitar. Sometimes their for harmonies 20 are twenty cool. minutes. <laughs> Listen, I love Neil Young's playing. I love when yeah. he plays loud. Yeah, that stuff does not work for me. Sorry, well, man. I just okay. <laughs> Check this out. Um, I just saw Neil Young two yeah. nights ago. Yeah. Pressure Podcast is brought to you by hashtag I as well. Hashtag I A S W E L L. From when you want to express agreement or shared experience without inadvertently suggesting that you've been raped. So here he's playing with Promise Was the Real. Was that the theater? What is the big state theater? Yeah. yeah. Capital Theater. Capital Theater. It's a beautiful, legendary theater. And uh, I so I, I got in there and I saw Neil play. So he's playing with Promise of the Real, which I think he'd really like. That's Lucas Nelson, Willie Nelson's son, and oh, a bunch nice. of 20-somethings that all are kick-ass players. Yeah. And this is like, because I agree. Because even back when I, I agree, the crazy I, hey, horse no, thing. No offense to those guys. I'm sure, you know, like they're doing their thing. It's just, totally to get me, that saying. work they're, doesn't work. They're, they're, they can be a little shabby, but yeah. there were certain times when they worked. Like, you know, for instance, you know what, what album where they really work yeah. is Tonight's the Night. Okay. That right. album is spectacular. It's like 10 minute, 15 minute ripping guitar it just songs. It's cool. It's it something doesn't work weird. for everything though. Right. It does work for some stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like Sonic Youth or something. Okay. You're yeah. just going to keep playing. <laughs> exactly. And that was, that was that their thing. Note. You're going to play that but, note. But <laughs> I mean, all you got to know is, well, first of all, right now, Lucas Nelson promised the real, everyone is, loves that band on its own. So okay. you, you check out a crazy horse album on its own. 
it's uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just the shabby is a good word for I'm it. I'm just gonna leave it there. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I tried to listen to it once. It wasn't for me. Okay, they're they're fine without us. I'm yeah, sure they're doing fine. Gotta find money cause I'm scared of being poor Don't wanna end up like them They can't afford And all of the things that we do To keep from being poor Keep moving Cause we always need more Keep moving Cause we always need more Scraping by It's all got you down On your knees With no power To question why Your resilience Being battered talk about the other song you played the second song you played oh yeah uh being poor um you know it's called being poor yeah is it on an album yes it's on the everything i say is a lie album got it um that's the latest one that was the latest one that's out i have a new album coming out this year i'll probably actually put it out officially early 2019 i will say one thing about putting out albums now in the 21st century uh Pierre, you love making albums, right? I love making it, albums. I know. That's what I'm going to finish the sentence. Exactly. Course. But I, what I feel now is that we, for the so much the enjoyment we have for making albums, the punishment is having to put it out exactly. these days. Because it sucks. It sucks. It, it sucks, sucks. It sucks. It sucks. And, and we're whining. We sound yeah. like whiny old men. We are because yeah. it's just, we like the muse. But Listen, to, people you know, who are 20 years younger than us have figured out a way to do it that doesn't hurt your soul. Yeah. I'm working on it. Yeah. Um, it's hard, man, because we grew up in a different time. And again, we're old ass men who are, I sound like an yeah. old ass grumpy man who, you know, but we watched the bottom drop out of everything we knew about how creativity works and yeah. how, how you make, give your product to people or yeah. sell it to people or whatever. So... What are we doing? What are we doing about it? <laughs> yeah. Well, for now, I'm just, yeah, I'm also with you. Like, I, I mean, well, let me ask you this. Have you, have you succumbed to spot the Spotify dragon? 
Sure. Yeah. My, so. All my stuff's on Spotify. So, so it's yours. I, an right? older uh, gentleman who... You know uh, what I haven't succumbed to? What? Free shit on YouTube. Fuck that. Yeah. No, I'm yeah. not into it. And yeah. people think I'm crazy, but I'm like... I'm on there all the time taking my shit off there because you didn't ask me to put it up there. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, but you get paid for it. Blah, blah. Fuck that. I'm yeah. not down with it. Yeah. And so I've had stuff removed from YouTube over and over and over huh. because nobody asked me. I didn't go up there and yeah, say, you can it, have my stuff. But is it, what sort of stuff are you taking down? I mean, my entire with... album, like albums and albums and oh, albums. albums. Yeah. Yeah. Like a no, song was... with just like a graphic and no video. Yeah. Like I didn't put it up there. Some asshole went and yeah. took my stuff and put it on YouTube. Fuck you yeah no, you know, i'm not down with that no i get you it makes me want to go do that yeah well i'm also having that problem now yeah so we could go down that rabbit hole because yeah. it's not very inspiring but it's not it's just yeah it's, and I sound it's a tough time yeah. to be inspired about putting that stuff out but yeah. back to the song being poor oh sorry yes. no no it's okay i went i went there <laughs> yeah and but i will you know so being poor was one of those songs that like a labor of love like it was one of those songs that i felt something and it I, I I know because I can look at the, you know how I think everybody uses one of the great things while we're talking about technology is the iPhone is great for songwriting, right? Yes, the little it is. voice memo That's on awesome. it. Yeah, and like when I was with like uh, who was it Jim Lauderdale, like other like respect they everyone uses it. Yeah, because voice memo. We all used to use cassettes. Yeah, and then you'd have to rewind and fast forward to get to that spot you were trying to find of what you did on something like, and then you'll go, oh, I'll never find it. I don't yeah. remember which cassette it's on. Um, but voice memo is amazing. You can just record something, you give it a name yeah. or not. Or not. And, and then go just, back and listen yeah, to stuff. And then just go back and listen to things. Memo number 37. But, so so being, exactly, being poor and also that it's all dated. So you actually know what, right. what time, what year. And also you can look at what you, you know wrote exactly for You know exactly what day it was recorded. And yeah. thanks to voice memo, you know, like, wow, I haven't written a song all summer. <laughs> right. Um, so being poor was one of those songs that it... I saw that there were like 30 different efforts. Like I was really changing the title, changing the arrangement. And eventually it came to what it is. But like, what is being poor about? I mean, it's that fear that I particularly remember feeling in my 20s. You know, it's that fear of just not having enough to to get by. And, you know, I've experienced it on some levels as an artist. But I grew up in a world of, you know having enough in a family. So I don't feel like I've had the struggle that other people have had, but it's just, you know, when you're waking up and your fear is just, do, do I have enough just to get by? And that's kind of, uh, it's not a good feeling. It's not a good feeling. And then just having sometimes having to resign to it for a while. I mean, there's a, there's a feeling of hope. Like I'll get out of this situation. I'll get a good job. But sometimes you just have to surrender. Like, I feel like actually I'm right now currently in one of those financial situations where I feel like I just got to ride it out for now. And it's all about low overhead. Well, you've been committed you know? to being an artist for many, many years, decades, yeah. I would say, and doing it, making it happen, things come and go and you've, you've survived and it's, it's, it's no easy task. Good you years, know? bad years. Yeah. And so people don't quite understand what that takes you know yeah. it takes a lot um and it can take its toll for sure and uh you know yeah good for you yeah i mean like like i said you know when people ask how things been like i i put it in good years bad years and you gotta if you're really doing this for real you just you gotta accept the certain years uh that that things don't totally go your way you know while i was riding over here there was a radio interview of these two brothers and they were, they asked them what they thought about being in a career of music and film and stuff. And they said the name, the first names of these two brothers, and I didn't know who they were. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, mothers never liked the advice I give on this. And so the, the guy, well, what, well, what do you, what do you say? Well, don't have something to fall back on. Oh, right. I've heard that. You know, like, well, I've because if you, if you do, you will. It actually makes sense in a way. Do yeah. you agree with it? Well, this is one of those times in my life where I definitely, you know, could use something to fall back on. Yeah. Um, what I fall back on to some degree is I book clubs, you know, okay. that will, that has helped me, but it keeps me still related in the same idea. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, 
By the way, the person ended up being Kevin Bacon. I was I knew you were going to talk about Kevin the Bacon Brothers, right? And it was the he's Bacon got Brothers. Stuff to fall back he's on. got you know <laughs> he's got a little But I was like, "Oh, it's Kevin a little Bacon. Cushion. Come on." Yeah. But uh you know, so it, that Yeah, it's I don't have anything to fall back on for real. Like I really have dove into this and the music world does seem a little hopeless right now. So my fallback is sometimes more, hey, it's time to go back to some acting and some TV and some... Hey, it works you know. for Kevin Bacon. You and should. it works for him. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Hey, maybe you will do that. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not saying you should, but if there's something else, it's also always nice to get out of your primary creative pursuit. Go out, just... Yeah, see it from the back outside from for a minute. This is sort of why I'm doing this crazy podcast thing. Yeah. It's like, let me just like do something else for a minute. Right. And... Uh, See how it informs. I mean, I'm cursed like you to, oh, I'm always going to play music. Yeah. It's just going to happen. Yeah. Hopefully it's not going to suck and hopefully there's going to be people that listen to it and whatever. Yeah. I'm just going to do it because I just kind of have to. Yeah. So well, I'm actually, I'm someone, I'm one of your fans. I, oh. I'm a fan of your music. I listen to your music. I show it to people who've never heard it. Like, let me turn you on to this. Thanks. And, uh, I don't even talk about my music on this podcast. I'm I hear you, but I am actually, that's, I'm one of those people. I'm a fan. Thanks, Jack. You know, and, right and back at you. Yeah. Well, thank you. And that, that's, that's the truth. And yeah. and we've had the good fortune to play together a few times. Oh, yeah. That was fun. We that <laughs> so fun because your guitar playing just, is yeah. amazing which actually let me get back to the song that you were yeah. playing so i'm watching you play that song yeah the second one maybe it was the first one i forget you have this style of picking that you have a pick in your hand yeah. and you're picking with your fingers yeah. i've never seen that before is I that know, a right? common thing it's more common than than you might think it's but like so cool you know i i experimented with i wanted to be a finger picker yeah you know i learned some doc watson i uh, mississippi john hurt mm-hmm. big hero i know i know a bunch of mississippi john hurt um, now, Mississippi John Hurt, you're a classic guy that uses the thumb, you mm-hmm. know, just fingers. Like and, a long thumbnail or whatever. And so what I feel like I've sacrificed on one level, like when you hear uh, Mississippi John Hurt finger pick, you'll hear the tone he gets from his thumb going, dum, yeah, ding, exactly. dum, and it sounds so good. Yeah, I've sacrificed that bass tone for the using a hard pick. But what I just wanted to do is have one pick in my hand right and you just don't go back like, and forth it's I know, always I didn't in your want hand idea. I tried the finger you picks can, you can rock a lead and your pick's already in your hand you All know what it. I do yeah I have a pick in my I have a pick stuck in my thumb yeah but then half the time you drop it yeah. which is a pain in the ass and then I always have a pick stuck in the headstock of my guitar like yeah. above the neck above the thing there you go both of those are not good solutions I don't want to do the full rock and roll like have picks on your mic stand yeah but like you always wish you could just do both somehow. Have yeah. the pick for when you need it and have your fingers. For That's how I went with it. And I think that in looking, it looks like Jerry Garcia has that same style. Really? He definitely pick in the hand in the two fingers. Yeah, I think he did oh. it as well. But I didn't know that till recently. And I just realized like, oh, I think he kind of does that. That's cool. Um, and there, but it's because uh, then you get you flow effortlessly between leads and, and chords. Absolutely. Which is so then cool. I just feel like I just play guitar. I don't yeah. think about. Uh, what this do I need happen. for this? Although you know, once in a while, over time, I've gotten you know, I have, I have a nylon string, and I, I really do love the sound of just using my three fingers to pick. Yeah, and, and I wish also, right now, I had the patience to study classical guitar for a while because it's so beautiful. It's incredible. Um, yeah, and, but there's only so much time. You know, I I uh, I'm sort of jealous of kids. Like my kids are taking piano lessons, so they're learning how to play the right way. Yeah, and then I have this friend who's. Uh, my friend's daughter, she's playing classical guitar and she's just amazing. And she's just learning. She, she struggled through all the boring stuff and now yeah. she just crushes it with the classical guitar. Yeah. It's so cool. I know. You know. I mean, all my, I can tell you what happened in every Gilligan's Island episode. <laughs> and whereas she was studying classical guitar right. with that time. Right, right. And, you know, that was just in my family, leaving me in front of the TV was just fine. And, you know, I have regrets. <laughs> Well, you you got started a little late, I guess, with music. Eighteen was wow. is considered late. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, to some people, they now uh, you know I've, I've heard people go, oh, "Are you kidding? I started at twenty-two. Well, of you course, know. there's never uh, a time. You know, it's never too late. Yeah, it's what you do with it. So I'm like, I want to prod you, like, to get it get yeah. political. Like, yeah, I want yeah. we're we're living through some crazy fucked up shit um, right now as we speak. We're going we, through this Judge Kavanaugh thing, right? Um, but so I started out by asking, like, can people make an anthem or do something? That- yeah. Well, we were sort of touching on, on, on what, 
what people can do now. And like, I think here's where I see some problems right now, as opposed to giving solutions right, right, right off the bat is that with social media and all the stuff, you know, as you know, they call the keyboard warriors and such. Yeah, I like that. Um, it, it's, uh, people think they're making a difference by just simply liking and posting. And the problem is also that we're, it, we're having a hard time making leaders because everyone wants to have a say now. Right. It, it, even, you know, the music world is fractured, but so is the, the protest world is fractured because, uh, you know, we kind of need leaders to help, you know, you, you need your Abby Hoffmans. You need your people that, that kind of help be the, the, the voice of, of a generation, a voice like of a movement. there's a lot of leaders out there who are stepping up on the... On it's starting to happen, but it's just getting watered down by how many people go to which and to what. So I just... Uh, that's, that's where I see a frustration. Um, but as far as people with protest songs and... You know, it's hard to get a song... A protest song seems very hard to be to get somewhere where it makes a difference right now. Sure, but why not try? No, I, I absolutely agree. If you feel agree. it, I mean, if you feel it. If it's and I'm trying to figure do. out what, what is that path that it would take, you know? That's all. I it mean, takes the same path that everything takes these days, which is you post something on the yeah. internet, you have no idea what's going to happen, and and most of the time it gets it goes into oblivion and sometimes it hits <laughs> right which right. is back to releasing albums like well, just what do we how do about back albums? to just who started who wrote we shall overcome uh i don't know right Seeger? no <laughs> i don't know i think you might even be right about that is it yeah <laughs> yeah he was um, into it he wrote so much stuff yeah now there's somebody that really made the true sacrifices you know yeah uh, like pete Seeger, there are answers in there <laughs> totally well he was like a researcher and he was like here's what's going on with this specific situation with the mines in this certain state let me write a song about it and right. he was like chronicling going out sticking his neck out and then singing i mean and having no issues about you know what the repercussions were for 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 stating his beliefs right i mean i guess the other question is like you know are we creating fear amongst people who could potentially be a voice because everyone, everything's so scrutinized now and people love to see someone trip up. I mean, someone like Pete Seeger, like, did he ever really trip up because he was so genuine at what he was? Right. I think some people are, are taking up that mantle now these yeah. days. I keep... who, who comes to mind? So as I've been doing these interviews, people keep mentioning different people. John Legend, Whatever uh -huh. you think of his music, I I bring up Green Day because they're super popular and they've really tread and, and you can like them or not like yeah. them, whatever. It's they fine. they're totally um, not afraid to get political. I never took issue with it. I mean, it's yeah. not that I need to listen to them, but when I hear a first of all a Green Day song, I, it doesn't sound like this is crap. It sounds all right. Speaking of Green Day, did you hear that record that? Um, What's his name? Billy Joe Armstrong made with Nora Jones. Yeah, yeah. It's actually pretty nice. It's a cool record. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, they're doing like singing like duets. Anyway, that's yeah. It. Um, but so all the political bands that I love are from the eighties and nineties. I love the Minutemen. Fugazi is like the yeah. top of the top for me. And then, you know, Billy Bragg is a guy who just was like, was politics. Like he just, you can't separate his music from his exactly. beliefs. Then you got like Rage Against the Machine and like a lot of hip hop acts who are, so I think being a hip hop artist kind of just is political yeah. because we right. live in America. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there you go. I mean, if you're an African-American, yeah. you know, hip hop artist. Yeah. So um, you're just saying, here's what's going on. Yeah. And uh, it's not good. You know, yeah. so that's pretty brave, I would say. Do you feel that any people get silenced these days? I mean, it seems like everyone. I can only think like the last instance is like the Dixie Chicks. Yeah. Like they got super silenced because they're a country. Yeah. Then there's this woman uh, in country who's really cool who wrote kind of like a lesbian anthem. And her name is Casey Musgrave. Yeah. Do you know her? I, don't, I know Check about her. her. Yeah. She's yeah. pretty cool. And she just, so as far as her politics, it's more like, you know, I'm from, she's from like the South and, you know, from right. Christian background. And she's kind of just like, I'm going to sing about girls and with girls and you're going to deal with it you yeah. country people whether right, you exactly. like it or not like yeah. this is somebody's reality of love you know right be cool with it so well then there's for instance a singer i'm friendly with uh down in texas jesse dayton okay you know he's 
he's he for being from Texas, he likes to sort of patiently do the dance with the people in Texas. You know, yeah. he, he he says, "All right, go ahead. Here's what I have to say," and they're often views that would be considered liberal. Mm-hmm. And he, he he's fully expects his that base to get mad and do that. And, and he's yeah, and he sort of. Uh, he's patient and does the dance. I, I respect him for that. What does know? that mean? I mean, he he engages and lets them express their rage on his opinions and tries his best. He will take the time to explain why he sees what he see, sees. See, I love that. That's what I would. Yeah. I, that's what I hope for. Like whenever yeah. I write a song that has overtly political messages, I want like somebody to email me about it and say, "Hey, this. What are you talking about?" Blah blah blah. People don't talk to each other because well, it gets okay. they just yell. <laughs> Talking versus social media argument. I don't. I don't get into political arguments on social media. I will beat someone face to face anytime. Sure, sure. Well, but, that brings me up to brings me to a philosophy which I think that no nobody should ever email or text somebody something they wouldn't be willing to say face to face. And you should and you should just not be allowed to troll without like your name attributed to any statement on the internet. Well, do you think people would write? bold letters in the same way too like before email doesn't there somehow just because it's electronic and instant that it feels like people feel i mean someone could have sent a letter that they wouldn't have wanted to say in person but somehow no, that didn't i don't know feel the letters like... comes from it has a return address on it and a name on it maybe well, if so it does an email uh yeah i guess so but you but... could open up an email account from wherever and give it a name. Oh, okay. You if mean it's anonymous, anonymous. I, I mean anonymous. I meant not anonymous. But okay, okay, not anonymous is like writing an e- a letter. You're right. Okay. So yeah, I, you're right, and I think you should be able to sit next to someone and say say this thing. But I caught myself, for instance, you know, realizing, you know, thinking that I was contemplating that exact thing and realizing sometimes maybe you'll write a long email, one of those kind of like here's how it is emails to somebody. I did that yeah. with some coworkers recently and they didn't even answer me, yeah. but I was working with them and I was like, Oh, you guys are, they, um, these two guys I work with were spouting up out some stuff that sounded insane. And yeah. Conspiracy stuff. So I wrote them this long, well thought out email. They yeah. didn't answer me. <laughs> okay. So that was, a, it was a political thing as opposed to, it wasn't like, I can't stand when you guys park the truck over here and put the stuff here and here's <laughs> no. why. It wasn't that kind of confrontation. No. Okay. Well, that's also like the political one is something that you certainly would do in person as well. I would. I did. I just feel like I caught myself direction. saying some sort of confrontational email about someone about oh. the way I feel. And then when I did see them in person, I had you this moment of like, I felt that moment of like, okay, maybe I was a little brazen in oh, the email. Oh, I mean, that's like, that's a classic <laughs> like developmental thing with email. Like when I first started sending emails, I got into this huge bitch fight with this guy uh, who was a booker at a club and I wrote all this nasty stuff. Yeah. And he kind of wrote back, dude, you need to calm down. And I was like, you're right. I do. That was lame. And I, I just made a rule for myself. Sleep on it or yeah. don't send anything oh, you don't want. From booking clubs myself, <laughs> I, I had to learn that lesson oh, that God. you can. And also. And you know this guy I'm talking about, but I'm not even going to Well, we'll name. talk about it later. But I, <laughs> I have some suspicions. Um, yeah. So you, I think that a good rule of thumb is like, don't say anything to someone by social media that you wouldn't same person and now my new rule of thumb is like on facebook or whatever just i keep it super basic yeah like today i i posted the phone numbers of the three senators who to call people should call yeah no comment just call them yeah if you feel the same way i do don't need any commentary and then but i barely do that and then i just post stuff on you know like everyone i'm kind of like should i just get off facebook but it's a very useful tool yeah. for music Right. Have you seen uh, John Oliver's latest comment on Facebook? No. He did a show recently about exposing all the things Facebook actually does wrong in other countries where they don't feel that they don't really do anything to stop the hate speech because they don't know how to speak the language in that country and only have uh, not enough people moderating. Oh, and, right. And actually have caused like some technically Harm. could be linked to some forms of genocide oh, by God. not actually dealing with a situation. It's crazy stuff. Like we're living in crazy times about we have this tool that we don't know how to use. Well, it, we're still what it's becoming clear that, for instance, Facebook is is still in a certain Wild West 
version of like what you don't want some sort of form of regulation but you know okay like facebook essentially played a major role in electing donald trump oh definitely and that's he a, that's clear. Were, and, and and i mean that that ship has sailed but there's a lot you know the misinformation problems and you know the the russian trolling all these things are the misinformation is a real problem people can really get a whole everyone can believe what they want to believe now right and this is becoming a real problem <laughs> yeah and we're trying to figure out how to put the genie back in the bottle do you yeah. do you consider yourself a patriot Yes. What does that mean? Well, I, you know, I was just living in England for nine months. And what I love about what I missed mostly about the U.S. was like the varied landscape. That's true. I love the mountains and the prairies (laughs) and all that stuff. White with snow. Yes, exactly. It's true, though. Like when I was in England... It's really kind of like one flat culture. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the diversity of just the culture and and just, I pictured myself being in my van in the desert and then being wherever. Yeah. Um, So what I learned that I couldn't necessarily, I always thought I would just leave the country. So I did. Right. Right. But I really missed this place. That's interesting. Because everyone talks about leaving the country. Oh, if the election goes wrong, if the midterms go wrong. I gave it a try. I, I went there with full idea. Like I had no, I didn't have to come back. Right. I'm back right now, and it did get me to show that I, I do love the certain thing here. But here, my problem with, with being a patriot of this country is that capitalism unbridled doesn't work. And all you have to do is play Monopoly to know what goes wrong. It's fun Monopoly at the beginning. Right. And even in the middle, it's kind of fun. And if if you have a certain kind of thing, it can be fun even towards the three-quarters stage but the last quarter of the game monopoly is not fun it's at fun all. for one it's person dark. it's fun my for the, kids play it yeah. and somebody usually cries someone cries <laughs> and and someone if they're not a good winner they gloat yes so that we in the u.s right now have to come to terms with that we are in the last quarter of a monopoly game and I am not patriotic about that bullshit because it sucks, it's wrong, and those ugly fuckers are gloating. And I don't like the way they do their winning, and I don't like the way the game is being played. And you know what? Our This country was based on when, when this stuff goes wrong, we're supposed to fight back. And, you know, as they said, there might need to be bloodshed. And there might need to be bloodshed because this thing is bad. I agree with you. Wow. Thank you for that. That is about it. Hey, do you have any gigs you have coming up that you want to talk about? Well, if uh, my next gig will be at uh, Sonny's in uh, Brooklyn, New York, uh, next October 4th. I'm not sure when we will air. So Let's we... air this before that. Okay. Then. And then sure. uh, you can check jackgrace.com for other dates. There's dates up in Boston. There's dates in North Carolina. And there's dates more in Brooklyn and this and that. And when do we see your debut of your theatrical play, uh, A Boring Thing That Happened with a Guy Named Gavin? Gavin? <laughs> well, better yet, there's a new album coming out called What a Way to Spend a Night that I recorded in uh, in Cambridge, England. And I'm going to start doing pre-orders in the fall and have it out, hopefully, with all willing in January of 2019 zone. Great. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Jack. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Pierre. <laughs> I hope you uh, enjoyed it. I have totally enjoyed being here. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to Pierre Pressure Podcast. Please listen to the next episode where my guest will be Mira Cook. And please check out the real Jack Grace's website, jackgrace.com. And you can also go to my website, pierredegayon.com, to find out about this podcast and all my other musical projects. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.